John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go ye know, and the way you know. Thus saith unto him, Lord, we know not where you go, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. I want to preach a message out of the sixth verse of John chapter 14 with the title, The Way, The Truth, and The Life. Let's pray. Father God, in your presence, here we have gathered. We've gathered here for a distinct purpose, Lord. And I pray that you'll reveal to our hearts the very reason that we should be here today. And I ask, Father, that you'll place in our hearts an understanding of what all of this means, the gospel, creation, redemption, eternal life. Lord, I pray that you open up to our hearts and help us to understand your plan for man. I pray this, Father, and I give you glory for working in the hearts of everyone who will listen to this word today and for producing great fruit in the lives of everyone that obey your word. And I pray, Father, for you to receive glory for all of this, that you receive the, the praise you alone deserve. And we pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to start this sermon this morning with a, a, a question. And it's a simple one. But it may take a little fault, but think about this. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? It shouldn't take a long time to figure it out, but if we understand the Word of God, we know why we're anywhere at any time. But say you come up with an answer and in your heart you believe you're here for a certain reason. Let me tell you why you should be here. Okay? You should be here, first and foremost, to know God. You should be here to know God. Your purpose for being here is to know God, first and foremost. You should have come to church today with the prayer in your heart, with your voice reaching out to God in heaven and saying, Lord, whatever you do today, reveal yourself to me that I may know you better. That's your primary purpose, not just for going to church, though. 
That's your primary purpose for living. To know God. We've talked about many things. We've talked about the place we should be is in the presence of the Lord. Of course, that can be skewed based upon your perception of God, but your perception of God can be improved the more you know God. We'll talk about all the ways we can know God in a minute. The reason you should be here first and foremost is to know God. What's your second reason? Think about that a little bit. I can see the wheels of the brain just turning. I can see that engine going. And you're, you're guessing at something, or you know for a fact. The second reason that you should be here after knowing God is to be like him, to be like Jesus, his son. Now, you can't be God himself, but you can be like the manifest one, the incarnate one, Jesus Christ, his son, who is both God and man. So your second reason for being here and your second reason for living is to be transformed into the image of God. And to be conformed to the will of God. So I've come to know him. And I've come to have my life changed to be like him. What's your third reason for coming to church today? I hope that your third reason for coming to church and for living is to be a witness of the Jesus Christ you know the Jesus Christ in who you are becoming more and more like every day. A Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ that you want everyone around you to know. So I came to know him. I came to be like him. And I came to show him to the world around me. Now, if those are the reasons that you're here today, you're going to be blessed. The subject today is the way, the truth, and the life. We are to know God's way, God's will, God's purpose for our lives. The problem in the church today is twofold. The first is people don't know why they're there. If you don't know why you're in church, you don't have a purpose for being in church, church can be pretty boring, pretty lifeless for you, no matter how great the service may be. If you came for the wrong reason, you're not going to get the right thing. If you came for the wrong reason... You're not going to experience the right thing. It's that simple. So, we have to come for the right reason. And if we're coming for the wrong reasons, we can't expect 
God to do anything or make any progress in our lives. We can't expect to know him better, to be more like him, and to serve him more. We can't. The problem in the church is we don't know why we're in church. We have no direction for our lives. And even if we have direction number two problem in the church, we don't have power. We don't have the ability to do what God tells us to do. Okay? So the first problem is, without a vision, without a purpose, we have no direction, we don't know what we're doing, we have to make it up on the fly. And number two, even if we knew what God wanted, there's a way to do it. A right way, and there's also a wrong way. I was reading that this morning in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. You're like, what are you getting out of that as pertains to this? What's well, the story about a man who on the Sabbath went about picking up sticks to burn in the fire. People caught him picking up sticks, brought him to Moses. They locked him up in ward to get the mind of the Lord to find out what do we do with him. This hasn't happened before. Our first case of Sabbath breaking. What do we do? The word came from the Lord to Moses, that they were to stone him to death. They took him outside the camp. They stoned him to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. <clears throat> I know what people think. They think that was really extreme because we've done worse than that and we haven't been stoned for it. Well, first of all, you're working under a new covenant. But the old covenant explains the new covenant. The new covenant explains the reason for the old. In picture form, we learn from this very event, this Sabbath breaker, that you cannot serve God. Unless you have the power of God to serve God. What do you mean? He said to rest. Resting is ceasing your own efforts. You are not called to try to serve God with your abilities. You're called to serve God under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit and no other way. So when I look down the list that the Lord gave me this morning, that my primary purpose of being here today or for living in general is to, to know God and then to be like him, Jesus is the perfect example. Jesus never made a decision without his heavenly Father, without his input, his direction. And then Jesus was always obedient to the direction he received from his father. Which is part two.
You can get the direction, but you still have to obey it. Jesus is the perfect example of how we should live under the power of the Holy Spirit doing the perfect will of God. That is the type of life we must have when we say the way, the truth, and the life, we must be transformed to be like Jesus, God's way, through sanctification, through salvation. We are to be like Jesus. And then God's will could be done. His will is that you know him better and better every day that you live. His will is you become just like his son more and more every day that you live. And his will is that everybody around you knows Jesus through you. Amen. By the power of the Holy Spirit in no other way. I want you to get this intercessory part down because I'm speaking phase three of your purpose for living. That's what life really is. Knowing God, being more and more like him as God transforms you into his image, not by your effort, and then serving him not by your effort. By the way, just to make this clear, the example is, we cannot sing songs without the Lord telling us which song to sing and still it has no influence. It doesn't change our heart. It doesn't even touch a heart unless the Holy Spirit has given us the power and anointing to sing it. No preacher can preach a message from the Holy Spirit that won't hit you right in the heart that won't get deep down in there, start rooting out all the dirt, stirring up all that mess that's been resting there, that's been sitting there and settling in your heart. That's why people don't want to go to spirit-filled churches. Oh, they last a little bit. Because if it's truly spirit-filled, they really feel good in the presence of God. Until... The dirt's stirred up. Then they don't, don't feel that way. I remember, and, and you, you've seen this too, I remember out in Colorado Springs, I used to go fishing, which is great prayer time, by the way. I used to go fishing uh, along the South Platte River that ran, I think, through very many states and through the Rockies. I've never seen in my life more crystal clear water. And I, it, it, that made you think, well, that, that'll make it easier to catch those trout then, huh? Because you can see them. They can see you too. <laughs> but I've never seen clearer water. And in the summertime, that water's still pretty cold. But in the summertime, you feel like, you know, dipping your toes in the cold water sometimes. But I remember that crystal clear water becomes all muddy as soon as I step in it. 
Then all the dirt comes up and it starts flowing downstream. And that's what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit is manifest in the singing of the singers and the preaching of the preachers. That's what happens. It stirs up the mess. And if people don't want to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, they run for the hills. It's that simple. They don't want to be confronted with something that they don't want to change. They don't want to be confronted with any part of their lives that they like, even though it's not God's will, it's not God's way, and it's not God's word. They don't want to be confronted with it because they like it. They like certain things in their lives, even though those things are offensive to the Holy Spirit. I'm reading this book by A.W. Tozer. A cloud by day and a fire by night. A pillar of fire by night, right? I've just started it, but I already know where it's heading. Don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit moves you to go there. Don't say anything until the Holy Spirit says to say it. And only say what the Holy Spirit says to say. Don't make a decision without Him telling you what decision to make. Don't say anything and don't do anything unless you're told by the Holy Spirit to do it. And then wait upon His unction to spit it out. Or to carry it out. Only then. There are times during preaching that you see my words becoming more and more deliberate. In other words, not just shouting it out with a string of praises, a string of knowledge. But the words become more and more deliberate because that's when you're seeking what to say next, what to do next. That's the way it is. I got a promise from the Lord a long time ago. When I started in the ministry, I had trouble figuring out what to preach on Sundays. Oh, I came up with my own devices like we all do. I decided what I was going to do is I, I was going to read a particular book that had a different subject in it every, every chapter. It was like a daily devotional, and I would base the next sermon on, on the next page. The next chapter. And I would go through the book and I would preach all that. After doing that for a while, it didn't work out. I changed my tactic. I tried something else and then I tried something else. And then I tried the Lord. What do I mean? Well, I tried praying and asking the Lord directly to know what subject I should pray, and then what points 
I should bring up. And I thought that I had it nailed down. Because it seemed to work a couple times. And the reason it worked a couple times is because it was partially the right way to do it. So I still didn't feel comfortable that I was really under the heavy influence of the Holy Spirit and that there was an anointing that was strong enough to change a heart. Because that's what it's about. I need to have an anointing strong enough to change a heart. And I told the Lord that. I need your power to change a heart, to convict it, to bring out all of the dirt, and to wash all the dirt away upon repentance. And all he told me was open your mouth and I'll fill it. And that's the way I preach now. I just wait for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Say the next sentence as he impresses it upon my spirit. Sometimes the exact words when the gift of prophecy is in operation. Or the word of wisdom. Or the word of knowledge. Sometimes that will bring out exact words from the Holy Spirit. But the rest of it, the words are influenced directed by the Holy Spirit, and then something's going to happen. But don't be surprised what that something is. The problem in the church today is it runs down the middle. It's partially right and it's partially wrong. And that's because the preachers don't know what they're doing for the most part. They're not anointed by the Holy Spirit. Because when you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, it breaks that mess up into two camps. Those who say, yes, I will, and those who say, no, I won't. Those who say, I believe, and those who say, I don't. So if you want to see somebody really saved, then you're going to have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to them, to pray for them, to minister to them, to help them, to lead them and guide them. Because without the Holy Spirit, all you are are words, empty words, lifeless words, powerless words. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, it gets right in there and it cuts it all up. It messes a, a person's theology up. And then when it all settles, as long as they're willingly accepting what God says, when it all settles, it all comes back together again. But now it's piled right. Now your theology is right. Now, this particular tenet of the faith matches that one and that one and all the rest. Now, this particular concept of faith that you believe matches everything else in the Bible. Now, you know you know the truth because nothing you believe is against anything in the Bible. Now you know you're not picking and choosing what you want to believe. 
Just as we do sometimes with God's will, we pick and choose what we want to obey. But God changes that by getting down in our hearts and making us feel like we're hanging over a hill on a rotten stick. It is a very unpleasant thing to know that what we believed all along was wrong. And we look back and we see all the preachers and all the teachers and all the influencers of faith that we followed and found out that they were wrong. Which made me wrong. And that pertains to the truth, but I, that also pertains to the way. The way meaning everything that must be done must be done according to the will of God and by the power of God in our lives. Or it's called flesh and it brings death. It is a spiritual suicide to try to carry out God's will even if it's really his will but in your own power. So don't do that. You may say, how do you know you got the power of God? How do you know your message is anointed, you may ask. Well, it's easy. Once you get used to it, it becomes really easy. Number one, that unction, that force behind you drives you to speak. As the prophet would say, it was fire in his bones. It's fire in your bones. You know it's from God. Now you can produce your own fire. Ask Nadab and Abihu. If you ever see him, you won't see him in heaven. They produce their own fire. Don't go producing your own fire, but if God puts that fire in there, Means he, he gives you this initiative. He gives you this desire. It's so powerful. It drives you and it drives you and drives you to speak what he spoke to you and to do what he showed you. It really is that simple. Following Jesus is simpler than try to figure out lives our, our lives ourselves. It's simpler than running a ministry without his direction. It's simpler than running a ministry without his power. It becomes easy. And, and this is what I'm learning lately that I must be teaching a whole lot more. I learned it a little bit on Saturday. I have a real long driveway and a lot of snow in it. And conveniently, nobody else is home. Hmm. Funny... Uh, how everyone has something to do. <laughs> but what needs to be done is not done. I shoveled the whole thing. Took me more than two hours. And yesterday I went to a friend's house and shoveled for over two more. And I started thinking. I had the initiative to do that. The Lord wanted me to do that. He literally led me out. I would not have done it otherwise. Because I'm an old man, you see. Elderly people aren't supposed to be doing stuff like that. 
you hear hear quite often in the news how person has a heart attack shoveling snow. Yeah, not if you're shoveling with an anointing. But I started thinking this. I wish I had five other anointed shovelers. Just think what five shovelers could, could have done. We could have been finished really quickly. It could have got done better because you could have put more detail in each shovelful. And that's the way it is in a church. God's looking for somebody else to help do the work. He's looking for somebody else with that same initiative. He's looking at somebody else that knows his voice and, and will listen to his voice and will obey his voice and only do it under the power of the Holy Spirit when they do what he wants them to do. He's looking for a whole church of those people. And I'm thinking, wow, how much could get done with five or six people who heard the voice of God. After all, we should be hearing it. He's our shepherd. We're to hear his voice. And then all of those five or six people are, are actually obeying the voice. And moving only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh my, what could be done? Well, I'll tell you... One thing, Satan does not want this to happen. Don't think that I'm ever concerned about how many people come to church. I'm concerned how people come to church. Much more. Satan is concerned also that you keep doing what you do, church, in the flesh, with your own abilities, out of your own mind. That's what he wants the church to do. And many churches fall for it. Many Christians, even in good churches, fall for that nonsense. I'll just do the best I can do. God never asks you to do the best you can do, because your best is never good enough. God only accepts that which is perfect. You must be perfected even to get your prayer through. You must be perfected to receive the gifts of God. You must be perfected at the salvation experience, and you must be in the process of being perfected every day of your life for sanctification. God accepts only that which is perfect. Your works can be perfected by you getting all of your direction from the Holy Spirit and all of your abilities from the Holy Spirit. Your works can be perfected at that point. That's the way. That's the truth. That's the life. I hope you came here to get today. Praise God. The altar is open for you.